According to the BBC, a false flag is a political or military action carried out with the intention of blaming an opponent for it. Nations have often done this by staging a real or simulated attack on their own side and saying the enemy did it as a pretext for going to war. The term was first used in the 16th century to describe how pirates flew the flag of a friendly nation to deceive merchant ships into allowing them to draw near. Tonight we review some of the more disturbing examples of this phenomenon perpetrated by the U.S. government not against a foreign entity, but rather against its own citizens, whom they are ostensibly sworn to protect. Well, I'm not a crook. I've burned everything I've got. A military-industrial complex. We are here to destroy the control over the industry of other people. I did not trade arms for hostage. It's been time together. All right, hello, Sorry welcome to... back. I think everyone is here. Am I right? Is is that Nick I hear over there? Uh, yeah, well, I, I am here. Can you hear that? I definitely could. You have some scotch yeah. on the rocks there. Uh, no, Eagle Rare, actually. Bourbon. So what uh, what do we owe the pleasure? We haven't had, had a show like this in a while where everybody is... Uh, is at the table so are we commemorating an event are we reviewing the state of affairs do we have a topic what are we discussing we're commemorating tonight? an event i think i think there's an event that recently happened isn't there or didn't happen it's like, it like the anniversary of something Remember oh right? was it was it a a new wendy god was it like the newest harry potter book or Something something happened, right? It's like the twenty first anniversary of something. I can't remember. What was it? I can't remember either. Was it the day it's democracy so died? No, that was like a couple of years ago, I think. But then democracy came back, right? Didn't they? Yeah, like, no. They, they, they took that off the byline. Yeah, so it's all good now. We're living oh. under democracy. I watched. Well, I didn't actually watch it, but. I saw images from the uh, the Bidenist uh, speech, the democracy speech. Oh yeah, where he he was like adorned in like a neon red glow or whatever that was. Yeah, democracy. It was a democracy. Are his speeches good? Because I, I I I'm going to be completely honest. I've never listened to one. I've just I've just seen clips of I, him uh, flubbing lines, but does does his like speechwriter at least like the before Biden screws it up? Does the speechwriter actually have the ability to well, I, I to put pen to paper? Speech, that it was uh, coherent from the beginning. 
you know, Biden was in his prime in the uh, in the 80s and 90s when he was just like rattling off slurs and screaming at people on the Senate floor. Like that was when Biden was a vaguely interesting guy, like kind of a crypto rate, crypto racist Delawarean credit companies. He did not like Clarence Thomas. Yeah, I mean, because he hates black people. It's pretty obvious. So uh, who doesn't? You know, like I, I think Biden was much more interesting in the '90s when he was like foaming at the mouth, very articulately describing how he, you know, how he wanted to bomb every village in Serbia. Like nowadays, he's he's just very boring. You know, he's giving these like ridiculous speeches about democracy or or, or I don't know, healthcare, like just very banal I- topics. I've always been confused about Delaware, like if it's real or not. It is, but it passes so quickly on the freeway; it's hard to notice. Um, you can you can go around it or through it. Delaware. I've been there once. Um, yeah, it's kind of a weird place, and that like, it's like this weird nexus of multiple realities. So you have basically it's credit card companies headquarters and out of state companies like uh legal headquarters here's here's (laughs) how it's broken here's how it's so bizarre you have you have uh you have a mini detroit in wilmington and it's just basically like a clone of detroit but without the without the uh automotive manufacturing history right there's no like beautiful buildings that are adorned in like graffiti you know some kind of post-apocalyptic aesthetic it's just a boring little city it's very cold and it's full of poor people and then you have uh, an entire section of the state that's basically carved out for chemical experimentation by the dupont company and then you have a couple of regions of the state that are like these weird um extensions of uh sort of like New Jersey and Philadelphia rich people that own the states or they just own random pieces of property. And then the rest of the state of Delaware is basically, uh, it's a lot more like rural Maryland, I would say. Like people there have like, uh, they have a drawl or a twang in the way they speak. They work in like really weird little industries like chicken farming or rebar manufacturing. It's just a very odd, eclectic mix of of stuff. That's yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan, un, unironically, of rebar. <laughs> Often underappreciated well, it's just, it's just, it, uh, bar it, 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 of reinforcement. Have you considered Delaware? <laughs> I have. I've been there. <laughs> that was the purpose of my trip. I was evaluating it's, it's it for very, uh, rebar, rebar potential. Was- <laughs> I mean, I've I've known people over the years who've moved to all kinds of strange places on the North American continent, but Delaware has never been among them. <laughs> yeah, Delaware is actually a fascinating study in how uh, important religious differences used to be in colonial America. You know, Del- the original territory, what we now think of as Delaware, was just an extension of Pennsylvania. But oh, so they were fucking Quakers. Well, so it was it was a group of sort of Puritans and more Anglo-minded Presbyterians that effectively broke off from a more Puritan and German-dominated state. So they were fucking Quakers. No, they they hated the Quakers. That's the point. Okay, good. Yeah, 
So Delaware was the region of Delaware we think of now. That little that little strip was dominated by uh, uh, Puritans and you know sort of an odd bag of various sort of English or British Protestant types who did not want to uh, exist in the same dominion as uh, as Quakers. But I think people don't realize you know this is why Delaware exists. It's it's from a very bygone era where people took these things very, very, very seriously to the point where they, you know, refused to exist in the same colony as someone, you know, of a different uh, religious sect. Nowadays, you know, that that history is completely lost. It's, it's totally meaningless. There's no, well, borders have there's no meaning. No, well, there's no functional cultural difference between Delaware and Pennsylvania anymore. They're just sort of both broadly, you know, the Northeast or broadly the Mid-Atlantic. Well, Delaware's Delaware's on the eastern part of Maryland, I thought, right? No, no, no. I mean, just in the, the general regional, the general, hold on, hold the general regional culture. There's no functional difference between them anymore. Okay. All right. Well, <clears throat> now that we've uh, had a chance to catch up about and learn about Delaware, um, I wanted to uh, actually reel us in a little bit. We, uh, we, we were supposed to kind of talk about uh, that thing that happened 21 years ago in September. Um, I think we all kind of agree it's been beaten to death, whether for good or for worse. Uh, but to broaden the topic, and I want to include it um, as part of it, but I wanted to broaden it a little bit to sort of take a step back and understand maybe how this concept is not just isolated to this one particular event. Uh, I wanted to talk about false flags. And I thought uh, what happened in New York and, and Washington was definitely a qualification of one of that, uh, of that type of event, but to maybe also give a background on what this concept is. Um, I had never heard of a false flag until maybe, I don't know, eight years ago. Um, I sort of came to, understand it from just listening to things, uh, as Bill Burr says, uh, at four in the morning on YouTube, <laughs> but, uh, when YouTube was still kind of interesting. Uh, but the, the first instance of it, and to give an example of it, maybe I should say, uh, to explain it was, I was learning about this guy I've mentioned a few times. He was a black operator, uh, for the CIA first during Vietnam. And then he was, uh, sort of re-recruited somewhat involuntarily uh, his post his uh, tour in Vietnam to continue to do work for the agency. Uh, but when he was first uh, assigned uh, to do a mission for them of import that uh, stuck out in his memory uh, was to actually fly a crew of uh, unnamed or sort of pseudonymously named soldiers over uh, out of South Vietnam into, and I always mix up which, which it was, but it's one of the two. It, it was used effectively the same way by the Viet, uh, North Vietnamese. Uh, he, he flew this uh, group of sort of murky characters into uh, Cambodia or Laos. And what they were doing was they were dressed up as North Vietnamese incorrectly. They were falsely representing themselves. Basically, they were carrying a, a false flag. They were a mixture of Americans, South Koreans, people like that who were part of the American military alliance system. And they were trying to uh, reel in either the 
Laotians or Cambodians onto the side of the Americans and the South Vietnamese by posing as the North Vietnamese and attacking the uh, the people that were uh, on the fence. And so that what they were trying to do was blame uh, their enemy on an act that they themselves were doing. And in doing so, they would elicit the sympathies and cooperation of a group. And that's called a false flag. Uh, that was the first time I had I'd learned about it sort of in a clearly explained way. I'd, I'd, I'd heard people suspect things like 9-11, but there are actually many other events that people suspect that go back much further. Uh, and I thought that'd be an interesting topic for us to sort of review uh, in the spirit of the anniversary having come up recently. Um, um, I think that's a decent background. Uh, decent th background. This this stuff goes this, back, this stuff in my understanding, my understanding uh, as, as, as far back as the Second World War. But Second does anybody else War, have any recollections or topics they wanted to well, contribute? I, what I don't remember is anyone ever doing any kind of black operation or false flag in Delaware. Because if you did that, people would be like, Oh, I was just saying nobody's bothered to blow up any buildings in Delaware. Because why would you? you know, I think that... There's nothing to be gained. Yeah, because why would you? Well, but it's similar. This is kind of the thing. Like, we could talk a little bit about uh, false flags and that kind of tactic that's been employed by Zog. But I think what's interesting about 9-11 in retrospect is that it was assumed that New York City held some kind of place in the in the hearts, hearts of americans of, yeah in the hearts of americans and i can tell you from my own perspective on it like i it was always a foreign country to me you know i have visited it um i visited it only after 9-11 i never was there when the uh twin towers were there but for me it was never i never had any kind of emotional attachment to it i certainly didn't see it as america I never really knew what America was supposed to be anyways, but New York City was, you know, it was in a lot of movies when, for example, they did a Godzilla movie that was very bad. Uh, uh, I think it ha might have had Jeff Goldblum in it, but it took place in, it was like in 2000. This was, I think. Yeah, that, that movie sucked. I really did yeah. not like it. But we're supposed to, you know, care, like, you know, I always thought it was great to see New York City destroyed, and it was destroyed many times on film, and it was destroyed on film again in uh, 2001, in September. It was also destroyed on film, and I won't say that, like, when I saw that happen, I was like, oh, yeah, this is great, but uh, I also didn't feel anything, like, any kind of, like, compassion or sympathy, mostly just kind of confusion. I was like, okay, uh, something is is burning in New York City, and I don't really care. Shortly after that, Baghdad got lit up. Sure did. Baghdad is America, so I guess that's okay, but when New York City is on fire, like, this is, like, you know, a great tragedy or something. And not only that, the target that I, I always thought this, we, we did a brief episode uh, last year talking about it and I might have mentioned this then but it, it's just 
something about it is so it it shows you who you're dealing with and that they think that this is something important because it is a symbol of something but it's not a symbol of something to the american people so you were able to somehow get middle america to want to send their kids to go die in israel because of it you know it it really puts America into perspective and it, it was definitely the defining event. I mean, I, I'm a millennial and you're also, both you guys are millennials. It was the defining event of our generation mm-hmm. without question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it really opened up um, this Pandora's box of me questioning things and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't until years after the event that I started to do that. Um, but it, it had an effect on me in I think the way it was in which it was intended, which was they picked a desirable target posed as them being the initiator uh, and then were able to gin up anger towards their desired target. I mean, that, that's basically the formula. Um, this goes back to if you go back, if you just want to like keep it to, okay, who did this? Let's just say it was a coalition of characters, but it certainly seems to have involved some members of the U S military establishment. Uh, when I say that, I mean nine 11, but the pattern of them doing this, uh, and this is sort of an Alex Jones talking point, but I, I don't think it's uh, untrue because he says it. Uh, but there was something called operation Northwood which actually was um, something that some of the top military officials had signed off on, I believe in the 50s, to actually run um, run a campaign in the streets of America uh, to actually shoot people, American citizens, and then quickly blame the, those murders on the Cubans in order to justify an invasion of Cuba to remove Castro. And that was... Um, I think something that a lot of people have have brought up as like evidence that this is a a concept that the U S military is comfortable with. Uh, there are others that focus on the Israeli involvement in false flags, uh, vis-a-vis American type, uh, foreign policy that, um, Michael Collins Piper has, has written a book called false flags, actually that, that details the involvement of the Mossad and a myriad of, uh, campaigns, including, uh, he suspects the murder of uh, Jack Kennedy, which I'm not necessarily uh, comfortable completely endorsing, but it, it's an interesting theory. Uh, he also uh, points to, I believe it's called the Levon affair, where the Israelis were trying to basically blame the Egyptians on terrorist activities in order to uh, get... Um, sympathy for Israel. Uh, and they certainly did that against the Egyptians in particular, uh, during the six day war, um, with the attack on the USS Liberty, which we've talked about. Uh, and then there are other events that I think we'll, we'll leave for later in the conversation, but, uh, there, there are pretty well agreed upon, uh, instances in the past where governments have signed off on this type of, uh, Activity and I mentioned uh, Chip Tatum. He was the uh, the CIA black operator who got assigned to go to Southeast Asia to do this, and he said that it was uh, Nixon who signed off on it. So this is a this is a pretty well tried and true tactic of war. If I'm, um, I I back to what I had said. 
experience with what happened 20 some years ago. I think it's very like Northwoods, for example, is something that never actually happened. Correct. It did not. It did not occur. Yes. It was just apparently they gave the go ahead if it was to go go forward. But the, the premise, like, and I'm not sure how many Americans died on 9/11. I mean, they get some firefighters and stuff, but a lot of the people who, um, you know, they aren't exactly representative of type right i mean everyone kind of gets this i mean you're talking about high finance a lot of uh, jews and capitalists this isn't like an attack on the heartland of america right that you didn't bomb the mall of america represents anything good much more it's an what took place was an internal dog you might say um system itself right like what are the targets that are hit well there you hit the the symbols of high finance and the military and the empire i mean the pentagon right so you hit these hit the trade centers and you hit the pentagon and this isn't something that i mean you yeah sure middle america can be the ones that consume television and stuff are susceptible to sort of ethno-religious propaganda against Muslims. You know, that's true. Like, people kind of sign on to that. And apparently they did. The thing with false flags is, you know, you live in a uh, trademark democracy, and the implication is that it has something to do with public opinion. And what's interesting about 9-11 is that the targets that were hit are not exactly things that your average American, outside of the ones who maybe have some kind of, at least back then, had some kind of mythological awe of D.C. or something like this. I, I don't know how, how much that was even true, but these weren't, like, they didn't hit middle America. Like, you talk about Northwoods, which, by the way, didn't actually take place. You know. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they hit soft targets in middle America. They didn't like hit ordinary people. And yeah, obviously there were ordinary people who were killed on 9-11, like sure. But I think for the rest of the country that aren't like East Coast people or people who are plugged into the system, it really didn't mean a lot outside of some kind of really abstract symbolic thing like you know, the Arabs hate us for our freedoms and like we need to make sure to defend the Israeli state um, because our freedoms were attacked. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah uh, well, it's almost like they, they attacked uh, themselves, which is yeah. effectively yes. what yes. false flagging exactly. often becomes. It's sort of like they, yeah, they yeah. picked, they picked the targets that they actually valued the most themselves, which is money yes. and yes. military. Yeah. <laughs> and therefore, they're the victim, and they are then allowed to yeah. strike back or something. Because, so. I mean, okay, we know, for example, to add to that, like we know that the public opinion of Americans, to the extent public opinion is a meaningful concept, it's not really. I mean, public opinion. I mean that that construct goes back to like Walt, Walter Lippmann, and it's not it's not necessarily something that's been with us in our traditions as Westerners for a long time. I mean, it, it's a 
conceit of the early 20th century and the early advent of mass media. But yes, like they will do what they're going to do. And we could, we, you know, we could talk about PNAC and the new Pearl Harbor and all that. It's been done. It's been done. Well, yeah, it has, it's been done to death, but I mean, even Pearl Harbor, it's kind of, it is analogous in that way because like, well, most America, I mean, Hawaii is like this far flung colony of America that, and it was a military target, by the way, Mm -hmm. you know, it was the, and the idea, so the idea that like the heartland of America was attacked because the Japanese bombed a military target in the Pacific, that was already a stretch. And just because, yeah, the theatrics of what took place on television uh, with 9-11, it's, it is, it, it's, it's instructive because it shows that they're not really trying to scare the American people or really present a clear and present danger to your average person that feels a need to throw their lot at the new imperial project. It's more of just, well, like this happened and now... The only natural response is to go to war for Israel. It it was it, it's it, it's often not framed so literally, but I think it was. It's fair to say that the Israeli camaraderie com- com- with 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 Israel was definitely emphasized. And I remember specifically, so they, I think they, you were they, looking for they, subservience. They, they, they. <laughs> <laughs> I I. I understand what your point is, but I, I, I want to focus on what the messaging was. Uh, I thought that's what kind of your your first point it was. It was, about. and they yeah. didn't mention Israel uh, yeah. in their messaging, by the way. I mean, you're right. I, I am being I am being sardonic about it. Yeah. And they didn't mention yeah. Israel. I mean, we were we we remember back then what they were talking about, and it certainly had nothing to do with Israel. Well, I remember. About, well, I no, remember. no, no, no. I, I do yeah, remember them mentioning Israel. They they talked about how El Al is way ahead of us on airline security, and we're going to need to start thinking about. Start oh yeah, about right. implementing. What <laughs> uh, what is it? The uh, the the planes close. Don't, don't we have like U.S. marshals or something flying on every plane? Yeah, now? yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, is that still happening? Is I mean, that still happening? Well, you we remember like, that movie that they made? Um, the propaganda film. Uh, I never saw it, but I remember the plot of it. The Flight ninety three. Remember yes, that? I actually yeah. saw. It. Yeah, so it's been a while, and it, it's a very simple plot. There's not much to really show on a movie. It's basically uh, a bunch of people in an aluminum tube, and it was a pretty simple setup. And, of course, how do they actually know what happened? I mean, they're sort of piecing this together, presumably from the telephone calls that were placed on cell phones from 30,000 feet. I I don't know. I don't even know where to begin on this one, but it's, um, it's sort of a, obviously speculative, uh, if not complete fiction, nonfiction. And it's just like the first part of the movie is like a bunch of like regular people like, Hey, you know, look, this could be you too. You know, they're just getting on their flight, ready to go to their destination. And they're wearing their college t-shirts and just looking like ordinary Joes. And then they're, they're sort of joking it up. And then all of a sudden somebody yells, uh, Akbar again, don't remember exactly something like that. And then, they kind of start looking at each other like, what the hell? And then, of course, there's a woman who screams. And 
and then it's basically these two big guys like sort of agree to rush the cockpit and that's basically the end of the movie it's it's pretty simple i remember that from the propaganda basically let's roll was that that's in the movie oh probably i don't remember yeah it's like it was the let's go of like two decades ago you know but that was the flight that had crashed in, uh, was it Shanksville? Right? Yeah, that fell into a mine shaft. Yeah. That didn't have any wreckage. Um, yeah, it have because any it fell into a mine shaft. Because, yeah, it fell into a mine shaft, right? Right. Yeah, that was interesting. I know that, I mean, for what it's worth, I'm sure people have, are familiar with this, but one of the accusations or speculations as to what happened with that is that elements of the uh, of NORAD actually probably might have shot it down uh, once it was clear that there was a situation and that the drill that they were told was happening and once people started to understand like no way this isn't actually a drill they weren't cooperating so, like, maybe yeah that's that's one of the speculations about what happened to that flight don't know you know but well, if they shot it down, they certainly didn't shoot it down over Shanksville because there would have been wreckage and no. like debris. And uh, that might have been the cover story for where it was supposed to have yeah, gone down. And they Correct. basically just yeah. took a backhoe out there and lit some grass on fire. I mean, it was it was a joke. It, it was like a little dugout, like a like a gardener would make this, you know, in in a weekend. And then there was uh, there was like some grass that was blackened. There was nothing there. I mean, it, it's the same thing at the Pentagon. So, anyway, we we talked about this last year about the 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 scarcity of evidence on. Um, I think this one in particular. I, I've always found that one to be the most ridiculous. But you know, most people don't even know about it. They don't even know about Building Seven, and so it it, it has an effect. I mean, I think that's the point of I think possibly this show is that these types of things work because most people don't question these things. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to anything talk about with nine eleven? I have a lot I like talked about, at least in terms of yeah. reflecting on it. Yeah. I mean, what you said that how these things work, it's it begs a lot of questions about the situation we're living under as to who is this for? I mean, it has parallels, of course, with the Kennedy assassination, and it I mean a lot of parallels, right? As to who is behind it, uh, its effects on a generation. I mean, 9-11 is to millennials as the JFK assassination is to boomers. Uh, that much is clear. Uh, it had both had a lot of, they marked, both marked a very significant changing point in the national security state and the empire itself as to what became considered to be acceptable, like how rule was determined in America. You, the parallels go on for a long while. And the lesson that you can take from both is that none of this shit really matters. And people like I've talked to some friends like over the past few weeks, just the idea of like, okay, well, 9-11 is irrelevant. And my attitude is like, yes, you're right to a certain extent that 9-11 is irrelevant insofar as the you're not, you know, you have these guys who are like these true believers who tended to be people who were not really political people. 
uh, like people like Richard Gage or whatever, who were, they came from their own little part of private life in America, Richard Gage being an architect. And this big event happened and they noticed like, okay, well, this doesn't make any sense. But for those of us who are already predisposed towards a certain level of cynicism as to the nature of American power and the system of yeah, we can be kind of blase about it and be like, well, okay, 9-11 doesn't make sense be or doesn't matter because you could lay out what, you know, you, you could demonstrate, okay, these are obvious lies. And it happened with that way with the boomers. Like, I remember a lot of surveys regarding the fascination uh, as to, like, most people, like most people who are familiar, you know, with, the television media, which is a lot of their generation, who are kind of casually following events. Like the consensus was like the official story is bullshit. Like that was the consensus opinion was that it was bullshit. But like it didn't stop anything. It didn't change how these people participated in pub and change their attitude fundamentally. It didn't create any kind of revolutionary sentiments, even though a coup d'etat took place before their eyes. And 9-11 was also a coup d'etat in a certain sense. It wasn't a coup d'etat of the nominal figurehead of a, of a state or anything like that, but it was a foreign policy coup d'etat. I mean, 9-11 was the neoconservative uh, Zionist policy bloc taking complete control of the imperial apparatus and doing exactly whatever it wanted to do for, well, until now and ongoing from now. 9-11 was what began that. It began the normalization of the federal surveillance state, which, by the way, existed before. I mean, it was it existed in the 90s. Well, I want to talk about yeah. that. Uh, I don't want to move off if you have more to say about 9-11, but I think it, it chains together the 90s very well because I think they were trying to lay the groundwork for what ultimately happened during 9-11 in the 90s or before but certainly during the 90s. Well, they tried, well, well let's not forget that there was a, a bombing of the World Trade Centers in the 90s. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was at 93, I think. It was uh it was uh, during Clinton. I believe it was 93, yeah. Yeah, and there was other things that happened under Clinton that yeah, are extremely uh, suspicious. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, we can go talk about false flags, talk about Oklahoma City. Uh it's not the point I'm getting at like these are subjects we have covered on the show over the years and I'm sure people listen, you know, it's old hat to a lot of people. It's not like we're going to say anything new. It's like, but well, we can well, reflect. Man. Well, okay. To, to reflect and, and to put yourself, I think in a category under it, under its, uh, his own, I think is something that probably most people at this point would give you without even considering the topic at hand. But in this particular topic, um, I think you were ahead of me in terms of uh, viewing this event as probably suspicious. Uh, however, what it did for me was once I sort of started suspecting, suspecting the the flaws in the story the and then wondering what those implications were, if those flaws were actually more true than the official narrative that was a huge red pilling event. Like I, I mean, massively for me, I, I began to really question the entire 
U.S. foreign policy and domestic policy and everything. It, it really started with that uh, for me personally. And I think that actually was in, in a way not not for every like the majority of people, but for whatever the percentage of people that are like me that are curious people by nature and like to understand things. I think they actually fucked up because they basically made me suspicious of everything they do now. Um, and perhaps that's partly what, uh, paralyzes, uh, the opposition to them is that we become these, uh, wrapped up conspiracy nuts in their sort of parlance, but it also causes people in the middle to also listen to some of the arguments. And I think it, it, it makes it more difficult for them to push forward their agenda. I mean, look at what happened with COVID. I mean, that, that was a truly difficult policy that was not swallowed by a good portion of the country. And I think a lot of that is because people were already on to the fact that these people lie to you. And I certainly was coming from that point of view that I just don't trust the authorities anymore. And I think that's, that's in the long run, that's, that's a bad thing for them. The people in power in the short run, they can get their agenda pushed through, but it also breaks their credibility. And that's what it did for me. Yes. And no, I mean, I, for me, it it was a, I think for our generation, broadly speaking, it, it has that effect where it's really one of those things you you can't really get past it. And like, if I reflect on the regime of the orange man, for example, it's very difficult. Like nine 11, it's not, again, it's not that I care very much about whatever 3000 dead bodies in New York city because I don't, I mean, I really, I really just don't give a shit. I care. Like the, if you, the only, the one area of sympathy I have uh, for 9-11 and the victims thereof, uh, I do I do have a measure of sympathy for the firefighters and how they were murdered slowly over the years. You know, the guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, those guys, you know, they were trying to do their job. And, you know, I respect no, well, that. Well, well, more than that, the, the guys, not the ones who died on 9-11, but the guys who they, you know, they behaved honorably. And they did their job and they did their job heroically. And then they were thrown by Zog under the bus because then a lot of these guys started getting suspicious themselves. Well, they didn't want to. It's not something they wanted to address every year. It's like every year these guys started dying more and more because of what they were exposed, what, what, you know, chemical, what Ah, asbestos, just dust. I mean, silica dust from the concrete probably. But a lot of those guys, they started to ask questions too. And it was just, it was inconvenient for them to dwell on this. And they, they preferred the people who were already dead. They, they would have preferred that all of them were dead because it makes it a lot easier. You know what I mean? But, well, the family members, as I understand it, were the ones that instigated for the 9-11 commission. And when I remember that happening, it, it didn't get well, a lot of press the coverage. Jersey girls. Yeah. So there were the Jersey girls who were uh, various widows of people who had who had died and they were pressing for a further investigation and eventually up whether it was because they saw the futility in it or because of maybe pressure well i want to i want to make a side note on pressuring the perpetrator first of all to come up with a report that uh either 
indicts or exonerates them is probably a bad idea to begin with. Uh, maybe they didn't quite understand that they were asking basically the perpetrator to clear themselves, <laughs> which is effectively what the 9-11 commission did. But I mean, it's just layers of naive, you know, upon layers of naivete that I think are instructive to, I think, a, probably just an honest, you know, group of people that perhaps like me, trusted the government a lot more than I think they do now. Uh, I'd be interested to actually hear what they think about what that, uh, that report well, meant. I was uh, getting at the orange. So like under the orange regime of the last few years, uh, I know there were a few incidents where I don't actually don't think it happened when uh, he was ruler of the Qua, but I think actually in recent months, there were some comments made by um, Donald Glump. It it had sort of echoes of I don't, I don't remember the details because I don't follow it that closely because I don't give a shit about it, uh, Orange Man. But I do remember the like under Nixon uh, with the Nixon tapes, there was that one of the famous gaffes pointed to is Nixon's sort of cryptic references to the whole Bay of Pigs affair. Do you remember that? Because it's not like Nixon didn't understand. Right, because obviously, like Nixon had known what had happened to his predecessor. This wasn't like some kind of mystery to the people who have power. Like it's it's obvious what's going on, and that was among various reasons why there was the soft coup against Nixon, as opposed to like actually like blowing his head off in public. But that's that's what nine eleven is one of those things where it's just like every regime every movement of, of Zog after that, every every time you install a new regime, and maybe they try to make the pretense of one being some kind of regime of the people, like they did with uh, the gay mulatto who, you know, ran on things like closing Guantanamo Bay, and, and obviously did not do that. It's just one of those skeletons in the closet that you, you can't really you can't really get around it. And it's people, some people are like, Oh, we, well, we don't want to hear about nine 11 anymore. And like the truth doesn't matter. And it's like, okay, yeah, you can have that position. That's fine. But I'm assuming if that's your position, your position is also that we need like a revolutionary tribunal. And that, I don't know, under like the new constitution, you basically have a mass execution of all collaborators in the United States government. And, you know, I'm just saying, like, what their position would probably have to be. To be, you see what I mean? I don't know if somebody says the truth doesn't matter. I mean that that's such a broad group of people, people who are checked out, people who are sociopathic, people who are Machiavellian. Who the hell knows what their intention is? Um, maybe you're just being glib. I'm just but, saying that yeah. it represents a rot, a, a very discernible rot. Like a crime was committed, and not mm-hmm. just the crime of 9/11 itself. But everything that came from that, you know, the, the entire war on terror, the entire. Well, I forget who it was, but it was a CIA director. I want to say, well, it wasn't the guy who died in a uh, mysterious canoe uh, canoeing accident. Um, it was uh, the other guy was, that uh, had a last name with last started with a C. But he said that when people are unable to distinguish. Bill Casey. Yeah, probably. He if probably. he was in during Reagan, I think he was in charge. But he basically said that if people are unable to distinguish between uh, the truth and what is false, uh, then we'll have done our done our work. 
and I think that's um, telling because I think people are just pretty much freaking confused right now. And uh, it, it actually is somewhat rational, like what you're doing and what I've probably been doing for the past you know, two years of Bidenism is I've just tuned it all out. I, I, I just don't even pay attention anymore because I, I know they're lying and I'm sure there's some truth in there, but I don't want to waste my time trying to, to work all that crap out. I mean, I, I, I default to their, their hostile and I'm going to uh, try to remove them from the equation. And part of that is uh, I don't want to get uh, distracted, um, but it, it also is to their benefit that nobody pays attention anymore because then they can just operate with complete impunity. And however, it does still beg the question, okay, even if you know the truth, then what are you going to do about it? I mean, we, we've been pounding the table for years on this stuff and I don't know what effect it has other than sort of making people feel like they're not completely crazy. Uh, like we probably felt like, you know, before we started doing this, but it's, um, it sucks yeah, that, you know, knowing the truth is not sufficient is basically my sort of ultimate point here. It, it it's not enough and it's also like it also yeah, can be problematic as well that it puts a target on you and it also makes you depressed because you know when nothing nothing uh, there's no justice you know when you see all these crimes then you just become demoralized so okay. it's well, <clears throat> i will say about that the truth doesn't necessarily have any immediate relevance in politics however it does have it does have a bigger picture relevance because it provides a benchmark. It provides a litmus test for what exactly you're when, when you're presented with any kind of pretense of change or reform or something like this. I mean, I could go over many examples in various foreign countries too. Uh, when you get a new regime in, how do they handle when you actually do get the new regime? How do they handle and it's not just a extension of the previous order under a new name and what do what do they do with the old files you know with the old secret police files with the old crimes of the state do they air the dirty laundry do they do anything to punish the people who are still around and complicit in this I mean it when it comes to something like participated in this they're still in the government i mean we are getting older but we are 20 years on people are starting to die you know comfortably in their beds but a lot of people are still around and you hope for justice and that may be a naive position to take because justice in america is a pretty unrealistic proposition at least in the short term but it does it does give you a standard to work with, and it presents some other questions too. Uh, one of, I think one of the interesting questions about nine eleven, just like Kennedy, is the question of the world order and why it is that other foreign states who are nominally competitors with the American Zionist Empire haven't aired any of the dirty laundry. I mean, they've even been re reluctant to air stuff that was done directly against them. Well, there's probably some mutually assured destruction going on where there's scandals that they would be, uh, you know, indicted. I mean, every major politician is at least um, their opposition is going to try to have a file on them, a blackmail file. And I, I imagine the CIA has uh, warehouses full of blackmail files on every there's single that. world leader. Yeah. But there's also 
the question of Israel and how there's not a lot to gain from attacking Israel uh, from a sort of raw political standpoint. Everyone knows that Israel's like a criminal state. It's not like that's a secret to anybody. Israel can make it easy to deal with them because uh, they have money and they have the ability to intimidate as well. So if anything, America will eventually take the fall. I, I can see, for example, I can see that in the declining in the American power, I could easily see a situation where you start. It's already happened. Like there every now and then something. Well, with COVID, for example. Be, yeah, yeah, yeah. We talk. Yeah, precisely. It's you can see like America starting to get blamed uh, it could be like, oh, the American neocon. Ah, uh, America, like, the Lee Harvey Oswald of the 20th Jews, century. Like, yeah, something like ideological, like American imperialists or something. Because people want to, the other powers, they're, they're, they want to maintain a certain level of uh, neutrality with Israel, with the Zionist, with the Zionist entity, the pure Zionist entity. As opposed to the the American one, I don't know. I mean, we can speculate. Well, well, let's let's talk about the uh, Israeli connection for a moment. So I mentioned before that nine eleven, I think, was sort of a uh, continuation of a, an attempt during the nineties to extend U.S. military power to the uh, the Zionist cause, effectively in the Middle East. And many people that I've mentioned before. Uh, such as James Bamford, who wrote some pretty seminal books on the NSA, mentioned that the uh, the neocons, effectively, who architected the Iraq War, went to Bill Clinton to try to get him to go and do the same thing. And he didn't want to do it because he just didn't see the political gain in it. Uh, and I mentioned Michael Collins Piper. He did this sort of long treatise on Israeli involvement in false flags. It's on unstuck.com. I... I will put a link to it if you want to read it in HTML glory. But it, um, it mentions during a... But I just want to say, rest in Michael Collins Piper, somebody I've always admired, and it's sad that he's no longer with us. Yeah, I think he died around 2013 or 14, something like that. And he had just finished, the last entry in that book was actually mentioning Sandy Hook. And he had an interesting sort of surprising take that he, he thought it was actually an example of... Uh, disinformation of the Obama school of Cass Sunstein to actually make conspiracy theorists look ridiculous by promoting uh, Sandy Hook conspiracies, which the implication is that he thought actually the event was um, actually the event was um, uh, as told uh, by the official. As well, that's a take. That's a take that's sort of vindicated in a certain sense by the fact that of uh, the recent persecution of Alex Jones. Um, in the courts. I mean, however many years later, like almost a decade later, and Alex Jones is now being uh, bankrupted for his for what he had to say about. Well, some some of that is um, is theater because I think in the court that he was tried and sentenced in uh, in Texas, there's actually a maximum. Um, statutory limit on damages for damages the type of crime that he was indicted or sentenced on and so i think it's it's capped at like 
$75,000 or something. I don't actually think he's going to pay what the, uh, the judgment was, uh, was for. I think that was more for, for I think the that press. was more for, yeah. I mean, be that as it may, I mean, it, it was a media circus nonetheless, but the, the point was driven home. Mm-hmm. So, see, we, we've haven't really delved into Oklahoma city, but I actually want to recommend, uh, and this is something that a, uh, a listener commented on our uh, website on our last show about um, Blackpilled on the various platforms he has on Odyssey and, and BitChute has done a remarkably good uh, breakdown of this documentary that came out in the the timing is basically around this January 6th hearing thing that the SPLC basically put out in support of like the... Uh, the drive to uh, root out extremism in America. And they kind of go through effectively uh, what he calls, you know, the PatCon operation, which is the Patriot conspiracy the FBI, Patriot conspiracy. Uh, program, FBI. To, uh, right. program to. We've discussed PatCon, even though we haven't done a program on Oklahoma city specifically, we have discussed uh, yeah, and I, I just want to recommend people checking out uh, Blackpilled's work on that because he goes through Ruby Ridge, Waco, and Oklahoma City, and they're they're all fairly linked. Uh, and God, what was the name uh, of that yeah. lawyer? Do you remember Bill Barr? Uh, because no, no, the lawyer whose brother got picked up in relation to the uh, in the aftermath of the bomb, Oklahoma City. His brother was picked up uh, in a case of sort of mistaken identity uh, by the fact he was tortured to death in prison. And it just so Trinidu, Jesse Trinidu. So I think Trinidu's brother was filing um, Freedom of Information uh, Act requests. And I don't know if he was he was found dead, but effectively his brother was was killed. And no, Jesse, I think... one, Jesse was the one who who was the one battling the FBI. It was his brother who was uh, murdered by the feds. Well, there was a policeman well, was who was policeman. trying to investigate the um, Oklahoma City events, and the FBI basically told him to to f off because he was impeding on their cover up effectively of the of the crime scene and he was found uh, later uh dead uh in a field and they called it a suicide of course um but his car uh, was half a mile away uh also um in order to get to where he was found he would have had to have cut his own throat in his car because there was blood everywhere crawled over a barbed wire fence walked uh, through shrubbery for another half mile and then shot himself and then lost his gun. Uh, I I don't know if that's the same guy, but there was a policeman that was effectively getting a little bit too close to Oklahoma city. And, uh, Oh, I, uh, I remember that as well. No, it's not the same guy. Uh, Jesse, if I'm, I'm digging in the back of my brain right now. Yeah. Same here. Um, that was the same tattoo that uh, a this works. Um, yeah, big surprise, technical difficulties. I was talking about the case of Jesse Trinidu and his brother Kenneth Trinidu, who was murdered uh, and it was suicide. Heads. 
And this was a sort of a strange, unexpected case because as often happens when you do some kind of this, when they do these big operations, you know, you can't control for every variable. And in this case, uh, you had mistaken identity essentially. And I believe Kenneth Trinity was like picked up trying to border into Mexico and he was confused with, uh, one of, with, uh, John Doe, I think John Doe number two that they had, uh, associated with the FBI. So, The point is, is like Jesse happened to be a lawyer and happened to care very much for his brother. And so when this had happened to his brother, he waged basically a, a one man jihad against the FBI for like over a decade or two. He kept pushing and trying to get uh, to the federal involvement in the bombing, et cetera. And some stuff did come out, but more importantly, like if you look into the details of that it just it's it's beyond incriminating as far as the behavior of the uh the glowy agencies and what it is you know it was just a classic case of oh we we don't have like the judge ordering like you need to turn this shit over and it's like oh uh yeah we don't have any of that it's like wait what do you mean you don't have any of that like where did it go it's like uh we lost it <laughs> you know, that kind of shit well, the whole notion of a Freedom of Information Act always struck me as extremely naive. I, I mean, again, you're asking perpetrators who have already hidden officially evidence of perhaps uh, something they did criminal, and then you're asking them to forcibly give you that information because of some law. Well, they can do exactly what you just said. It's just basically yeah, sorry, we don't have that, or it's gone, or it's missing. I don't understand how people think that that somehow gives them any leverage. I think it's ridiculous. I've always found it to be absurd. But I don't actually understand if there's any oversight of the re records oversight maintenance. I mean, I know there's a, some big department that manages <laughs> the, department the records. Manages. I would say that this gets back to the subject of the 9-11 truth movement, as it's called. Uh, it's really not much of a movement in any sense of like a, having a political value be, for this exact reason, because it's predicated on this assumption that truth matters. And unfortunately, in politics, especially in modern mass democratic politics, truth doesn't really isn't isn't what's important. It's. Really, I, I've been I've been thinking about this. Uh, I was revisiting the one of my favorite books as uh, Lawrence Stern's uh, Tristram Shandy, the life and opinions of Tristram Shandy, gentlemen. And it begins with uh, it has in the first volume a Greek quote, which I believe belongs to Epictus. Epictus, and uh, it's that. Uh, it's not things, but opinions about things that trouble men. And I, I think this is very relevant in so far as how we look at these types of questions about these are very significant events. And there's a reason that people are able to say, well, oh, these things don't really matter, or rather the truth about these things don't really matter. And unfortunately, 
to a large extent, they are right. It doesn't really matter because you're not ever going to affect a change of the change of rule, a change of the system, a political change in America because you're able to demonstrate something is true. I can demonstrate all kinds of things that are true and contra to the prevailing mythology of the American system, but it doesn't matter because, first of all, in order to demonstrate that something is true, you have to be dealing with someone who's capable of apprehending truth, which is, you know, means that they're able to think critically. And thinking critically is uh, an uncommon practice. So you're not, you know, this is, I think maybe why people put a lot of ho hope in the uh, in the orange idea, because some kind of like mass hysteria of like owning the libs and some kind of religious fervor of like a television personality or something was going to bring about some kind of uh, sea change in the American political landscape. Uh, which, I mean, I say that sort of condescendingly. I, yeah, I admit that. But it's actually probably a, a more reasonable expectation in the context of America than, for example, believing that, you know, I don't know, the truth shall set you free type thing. That you, you, can, you can show people how things really are and demonstrate that they've been lied to and that it'll, in some kind of mass form uh, lead to a rapprochement with the 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 regime with the dog well i think if i've learned anything it's well-crafted storytelling convinces people regardless of how factual that story is uh there has yes. been there's been uh, reports papers published that demonstrate that people will without almost exception, accept as truth a Hollywood film if it's presented as a documentary. They won't question the facts as presented. They'll assume that they're correct. And I think they assume that also, at least more than us, from the official narrative. And I think that's you know the, uh, the sort of appeal to authority that people have psychologically subconsciously. subconsciously there's many reasons for it many but reasons. i think empirically, I think empirically people, people are persuaded more are by, persuaded by romantic notions and emotional appeals rather than well they're persuaded difficult by difficult things to piece together that may actually be more true their their action and collective organization formation over to the extent that 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 materializes comes about through myth making. This is why Plato talked about the poets in the way that he did. It's this is a real power. It's not like truth doesn't really have a lot of power. Uh, when you look at history, generally speaking, well, tr truth's not important. I'd like to I'd like to preface that with truth doesn't have the power over the masses. Truth matters if you're doing anything in engineering, because if you're not paying attention to the truth, your machine ain't going to work. Uh, you need to be very, uh, the overused cliche, I guess, in this scene, but you have to be autistic about what you're doing. And I think a lot of us on this side of the fence 
come from some somewhat of a background where we are very detail oriented and we expect other people to care about the details and they just don't. And I think they, they live in sort of the fantasy land of uh, the, the fire economy perhaps. But if you're actually doing anything that requires real details to be correct, if you're an accountant, if you're uh, building a bridge, if you're doing anything that requires things to actually be correct, and if they aren't, things fall down, uh, that is the exception. But I, unfortunately, I think most people are not like that. And I think I definitely think the, the electorate is not like that, given you know the types of people they vote for. So here you are. What do we do about yeah, it? Yeah, you're I you're completely you're I agree completely. But uh, that's not to say that you're also right that the truth does matter in the context of these things, if you want to actually understand them, or if you're the one doing them. I mean, all it comes down to is like somebody did something in a place and in a given time. And like we move on from there. I mean, somebody like there are actors who are actually staging these things, doing these things, committing various crimes and organizing the response to those. I mean, it's not this comes like I said, I like hearing people talk about this, like, okay, well, 9-11 doesn't matter. And I don't know, like whatever the flavor of the week, like propaganda point does matter. Like we should be, when people try to do this, like they, they want to talk about whatever they want to talk about. That's fine. That's their prerogative. They can talk about whatever the fuck they want to talk about. I, I don't care. I mean, it's fine. Maybe I do care. Maybe they're talking about something I do care about. I'm just saying like the idea of narrative control or the idea of you're going to be able to, take from the Hollywood Jewish machine yeah. that power that they have. Well, that was the whole, like, the, writing. A, the belief of the Groypers. Remember them? The, like, Nick Fuentes-inspired, uh, we're going to storm the uh, the CPAC, uh, Charlie, yeah, yeah, Charlie the orange, whatever, the Kirk, I guess, yeah. and, like, yeah, ask yeah. him about his connections with APAC and uh, do it extremely eloquently. But, you know, I've learned by speaking to uh, very briefly members of the press in my youth that uh, if you make a good argument, they simply will ignore it and cut it and leave it on the cutting room floor and they won't play it. Yeah, they want idiots it. to talk to you or to talk to them, <laughs> and they're yeah, going to replay that, you know. To... Yeah, you're up against, yeah, it's, you know, in 9-11, there were those moments. Uh, there have been a lot of moments where people get confronted. I know that Lucky Larry got confronted a few times in uh, public pressers. And they just... Yeah, they just you know, go blank. They just don't even respond. Fun. Yeah. Exactly. Right. I remember there was, a, there was a... In the 70s or something, there was somebody who tried to protest uh, Chase Manhattan for investing in Chile like during the Pinochet era. And it was uh, one of the Rockefellers who were the owners of Chase Bank at the time. And uh, yeah, there was this leftist guy basically storming into the meeting and he was like yelling and screaming and the guy just sat there. He didn't even say anything. I think that's basically the the correct response. If you have a lot of powers, you just wait these people out because they're good. You know, most people think they're just nuts, even if they're right. <laughs> they just, they look at the sort of, dichotomy between this like crazy person who's like being restrained by police officers and then the guy like the successful person up in front and i i don't, I don't know what the breakdown is of what what people emotionally like try to like a, like a, have sympathy for but 
yeah, that's typically what, what big people will do. They'll just ignore you. Um, and cause they can, and why would they even give you airtime? You know, it, it, it wouldn't make any sense to, so, so uh, just going back to Oklahoma city for a second, I'm actually curious, Nick or Hans, if you're, uh, have anything you want to weigh in with, on with, um, as to what that whole event was about, because I mentioned black who did a fantastic job of breaking down the, what of the event and like how it was executed and why it was suspicious. But I don't really think he addressed the, the, the why aspect of what, what it was for. Like, what was the real motive? He kind of implied that it was, it was sort of like a PatCon thing to get more Patriot Act light type stuff passed, but I'm not necessarily convinced of that. I've heard many people speculate as to why Oklahoma city was, was done. Okay. As to Pat con now, correct me. uh, Maybe someone can correct me if I'm wrong. uh, Who's been more up to date on this. I haven't really studied the issue in a number of years, but uh, my understanding is that, it was only because of Jesse Trinidu that PatCon was that that we are aware of that nomenclature. That could be. Uh, I don't know. That that was internal FBI, ATF, uh, whoever else was involved, uh, internal nomenclature, and this has some. This this goes back a little ways, but it was a it was modeled essentially off of. Uh, COINTELPRO mm-hmm. and it was COINTELPRO that was being directed at the sort of militia uh, patriotard American right. It definitely was. Yeah. And that, that's well, why yes. and Timothy McVeigh about- was, was weaving himself through all of those major events, including Waco um, of course. Yeah. But- and again, I'm going off memory here, but this ties in of course to like white nationalists as well, because uh, that's what was taking. So the one of the the staging ground for the OKC bombing was I, I believe it was called Elohim City, yeah. And it was it involved a bunch of um, sort of yeah militia types uh, and white nationalists, as well as a so-called German intelligence agent. Yeah, Andreas Strassmeyer. Andreas Strassmeyer. Yeah. Right. 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 Super like, suspicious, this, dude. Yeah, as a German spoke Hebrew, or... had like lived yeah, on a kibbutz right, in Israel. Right, right, like, what right, the right, hell right, is that German, about? Right. Yeah, and that's always what you get to. I mean, this like I think that's a point we could discuss briefly. It's you get this with the conspiracy types who don't really they don't come from anywhere themselves. They tend to be there's a large contingent of sort of individualistic libertarian types themselves they don't belong to they don't hold to any well that may have been the weaver family that that was sort of they kind of the weaver, were well, the weaver family was you know i mean randy's dead now and they 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 want look the weavers they wanted to be left alone exactly they, they believe yeah but like i'm referring to the people who like post content and write books and do yeah. podcasts and stuff about this kind of material and there, these are people who are happy enough to like be like, oh, here's this suspicious German intelligence agent, and not interrogate that any further. You know, it's 
I I just like you see the same thing with 9-11 where you get these really elaborate like people even do a good job talking about, well, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. This couldn't have happened, whatever. But they're unable to offer a coherent theory outside of, you know, something that's kind of this nebulous like, oh, well, like evil like CIA, like American deep state and maybe something, something about Israel. But reality is like after I mean, who is the prime suspect here? Like, who is it that got what they wanted? It was the the Zionist faction in the American state. And it was the the actual Zionist state that had their policy objectives fulfilled by American intervention into uh, the Middle East. I mean, it's not really like complicated. People want to like overcomplicate this. And they. Well, I think it's fair to try to actually identify the players if there are different players. If it is the case that there's always the same character, which I think is a little bit unlikely, um, then I guess that's one thing. But I am not entirely convinced of who the prime mover was behind Oklahoma City. Um, Just without going through the the three or four hours that... uh, Devin Stack did on Blackpilled on that particular episode. He did a whole bunch of other things on Waco. His, that was his, probably his strongest one on the PatCon series he did. But um, without going into all the details, the highlights of why, first of all, Oklahoma City was suspicious was Timothy McVeigh, first of all, who was the guy who was assigned the, the role of the guy who did it, was yeah, one of two people who right. actually were clearly identified by many eyewitnesses that were seen in the places where the rider truck was rented the day before it was probably this Strassmeyer character who was actually in the building installing wires <laughs> for some reason. Um, and then uh, that guy gets disappeared very quickly from the media. And also he apparently was escaped out of Mexico back to Germany. And then he was interviewed in Germany. Hey man, did you do this? And he basically said, Nope, didn't do it. Thanks anyway. And then he disappears. Um, but McVeigh, who was sort of assigned the role of the guy who did it, um, he he didn't really put up much of a defense, and he basically said that his only request was before they quote-unquote executed him was, I don't want an autopsy. And there were apparently witnesses that saw him during the execution period, the chamber which he was in, where he was still breathing, and he had apparently bragged to other prisoners that he was, uh, was going to be given something fake. And here's the one that I think is a little bit more concrete. He had written a letter to his sister. Now, I never read the letter, but I've heard that he wrote some letter, so maybe this is wrong, but assuming the letter is correct, he told his sister that he had basically been, he didn't use the term, but he had basically been sheep-dipped. He had been taken out of the uh, the military um, where he had served during the Gulf War, and he was taken aside and said, hey, do you want to join some secret black ops uh, program basically. Uh, and he's like, yeah, hell yeah. Uh, but he was given a story, which is what they do. They, they've sort of ch- changed your identity. I don't think he changed his name, but he was basically given a fake cover story that he had been run out of the military. He didn't qualify for the next, uh, job yeah, that he wanted. 
and Harvey Oswald. And he, he told all this to, uh, yeah, and he told all this to his sister, and he said that basically I'm now working undercover. And he suddenly starts showing up at all these white nationalist militia events, and he starts saying, hey, wouldn't it be great if we started planting bombs? And they're like, what? Uh, no. And he actually got kicked out of some uh, militia in, in Michigan of all places. I don't even think he's from Michigan, but he, he went up there and then he was, he was going places like that. He showed up at Waco and he was selling all these sort of like t-shirts trying to get people to hate, hate on the government. And it, it appears very clearly well, to me. You don't need to sell a t-shirt to get somebody to hate <laughs> the American. No, but he, it looked like he was, he was sort of an agent provocateur and it, it looked very much like he was working for, the the black you know elements of the the federal government for what purposes i'm not really sure but uh for also the the forensic thing that also also sort of stood out was that that building uh could not have been taken down the way it was with an ammonium nitrate no with a rider truck filled with manure parked out in front come on (laughs) no and apparently the air force tried to recreate it and they they couldn't do it with with that bomb um and also that particular type of uh, chemical, when it's blown up, actually leaves a lot of toxic chemicals in the air, and people would have had those health effects, which they didn't have. So the whole thing is really suspicious. Um, yeah, and just like nine eleven, you had a lot of people who matter, or who or think they matter, or I guess matter enough in this case to not die, uh, not showing up for work. Like uh, in the case of OKC. Yeah, I uh, think the ATF was actually told not to show up. Yes, the ATF did not show up for work that day. I mean, there were some children in the daycare who uh, did not get that message. Uh, But the ATF uh, apparently got that message. Well, the uh, the good men of the uh, and women of the alcohol, tobacco and firearms, how those go together. I guess you have to look to the. Go, going Prohibition on, era, sure. but <laughs> apparently that made sense to some bureaucrat. They're safe. <laughs> yeah, and and not to go to to rehash Devin Stack's great work on Waco, but oh my God, did the ATF fuck that one up? So go check that out, please. If anybody is not familiar with the details There's of that, a really event. good. Um, uh, there was a documentary made in the nineties. Uh, I forget the director. It was like it made in like '96 or something. Uh, Gaddis or something. Not not the novelist. I I can't remember the guy's name. But there was a pretty good documentary made in the '90s about uh, what happened at Waco. And the context of this, I mean, to, to, to well, what I'm asking is, why did all these things happen? That that's yeah. Well, what I'm so, trying to get at here again, to, like. Just like the so uh, the the World Trade Centers were previously the target of a um, um, Islamic terror plot. Um, well, what was weird the, was Oklahoma City you know, apparently had a couple of Muslim guys yeah. that disappeared into the memory hole, if I recall correctly. And that's what makes well, my, it sort of weird. Is like, okay, was this sort at, of like a pre nine eleven or right. was it like a PatCon thing? I don't know. Was it well, both? It's hard to say. <laughs> The reason this stuff gets shoved into this like conspiracy niche—I um, I mean, that word is uh, unfortunate, but also somewhat accurate insofar as it describes a genre, right? And 
you know, there's people for whom that in of itself is some kind of like ideology or orientation with respect to understanding America. Uh, leaving that aside for a moment, the differences that I would point out with considering 9-11 uh, versus some of these very high profile uh, incidents in the 90s and in the 80s is that 9-11 was the one that affected serious policy like, yeah there was some stuff that you know I mean I, I don't remember the assault weapons ban came uh god I I, I can't remember the Brady uh, bill was uh under Clinton yeah. Yeah, it was I don't know Clinton. if that. I think assault weapons might have been before that. I I could be wrong. No, though. It was, assault weapons was under Clinton as well, but I, yeah. I don't remember if it was post. Uh, well, okay, I think there was a definite attempt to take the guns away from the militia movement because the Ruby Ridge event and Waco were both ATF operations. They were both predicated. Yeah, they were both predicated on. Um, uh, phony weapons charges. I mean, the Waco one was was so bad that charges. they didn't even have any evidence other than somebody saying there might be a machine gun yeah. or something. But they didn't even have any any evidence of it. It was just I a suspicion. It, yeah. Well, and in the case of Ruby Ridge, it was a and that um, was Sonic that was a, an entrapment. I mean, that was an awful. Yeah. Just, Son, Son, yeah. Right. But uh, regardless, like none of these compared to nine eleven in terms of the aftermath and the sweeping policy changes no. that took yeah, right but what i was wondering was was there an attempt because you know going off the bamford thesis that clinton was uh, basically the cold war ended the u.s has the uh, unchallenged military in the entire planet uh and the neocons are rubbing their hands together like well you know maybe we can make use of this thing and it took until, you know, well, George A.W.'s idiot son, had, you know, insecurity about what he was going to do to get their policy enacted. But I think they were trying it under the Clintons. And my question well, is, was Oklahoma City part of that? I definitely think World Trade Center was part of that. But I don't know if that the OKC one is just so suspicious and, and strange and confusing to me. Um, well, there's been, I've I've seen various theories as to you know how far the operation went beyond what i mean that's that's kind of how these things tend to work because people only know what they need to know and so you have people maybe told that they're participating in something that is a an exercise or you know something like this uh it's we're we're you know we're doing a drill and then all of a sudden something goes very live and now you have Basically, you've been made complicit in something that you wouldn't have signed on to because you're just like bureaucrat gang and you're not really necessarily a uh, paid to just like do murder and stuff. I mean, you're you're paid to like make sure that like the murder continues, of course. I mean, you are. I'm not saying you're not complicit from a moral perspective, but you're not like a you're not a a dirty operator. You're just fucking bureaucrat gang. And you you never know with these things like who authorizes this. For example, they was it uh, recently they were doing like you remember when they were releasing gas on the New York subway as like a drill? Uh, no, I remember Tokyo, but not New York. 
Yeah, we talked about Tokyo. No, it was a couple. It was not too long ago. They were doing these drills where they were like, it was like going to be they were going to release a neutral gas or do these drills where they're releasing um, away. Huh. Uh, when was this? It's that kind of thing where it's like, I don't know, uh, the past couple of years. Okay. But my point is like, that's how these things tend to go where, you know, all of a sudden it turns out like, oh, whoa, like you're actually, someone's actually releasing gas on the New York subway. Whoops. Like, who knew? Well, yeah, it's sort of the boy who cried wolf, right? I, uh, I hope I hope there actually isn't a, a real terrorist out there with uh, my name on it, but it would be or, or terrorist bomb, I should say, with my name on it, um, because I would I would assume it's uh, it's some ammonium nitrate, nothing. Apparently, I don't know if that's what you're what you're saying, but well, I'm saying these things are complicated. Like there, you have a lot of people involved in them mm-hmm. and not a lot mm-hmm. of them are necessarily going to know the whole story. I mean, actually, uh, put more specifically, they, a lot of them must necessarily not know the whole story. And I've seen some speculation with respect to Oklahoma city that, you know, maybe things got off the rails and it wasn't supposed to happen. And then it did happen. Who knows? You have different factions because keep in mind, this brings us back to 9-11. All these things are taking place before. Like, yes, you had Zog. But you didn't have the total coup of the neoconservative elements of the foreign policy and uh, security state apparatus. So there were, there were more factional divides within Zog prior to 9-11, which consolidated the neoconservative faction. Well, yeah, and I've I just have heard, and I, I do think that Oklahoma City was a site of a whole bunch of overlap of varying factions, the FBI, ATF, notwithstanding. I mean, I think the CIA is probably involved in Strassmeyer's case, Mossad, possibly. Well, yeah, uh, and yeah. then they're all their weird motivations. Then the Clintons, yeah. I mean, so what was weird was um, with Waco. Um, Vince Foster, the guy that like shot himself in the back of the head, yeah, uh, was the, the White House liaison to the press during that event, and apparently there was stuff in Oklahoma City involving the Clintons and I, Chelsea Clinton's dad, like Wade Hubble, was involved. I mean, it's just so bizarre yeah, yeah. and confusing. Bill Barr was hanging around. He was defending Lon Horiuchi again. <laughs> it was oh, like, yeah. Bill, Bill what Barr. is going on? I mean, who are these people? It's Bill, like they Bill all Barr hang out. You know, and... To see a, um, <clears throat> an actual trial for what happened. In, uh... oh, but, Ruby, he was at Ruby know. Ridge and Waco, Horiuchi. Yeah. Um, and he was dropping you know heavy shells on all these people. And... I mean, I presumably he's still alive, but uh, I, I don't think under that name. Probably with <laughs> plastic surgery. Who knows? Um, but I, I mentioned... I mean, they need to go that far. <clears throat> I don't think not. they needed to even do witness protection. What? Oh, okay, I'm not getting in the weeds on that. 
uh, go on, please, before I say Yeah, anything. no, I mean, I don't even know if I should go on. I mean, this whole thing is kind of a, a, a red button, but it's... Uh, I mentioned before on the show, and look, this is only me again, you know, at four in the morning on YouTube years ago, but I was listening to Ole Damagard. He's like this uh, Norwegian guy who lives in Spain, but he does that kind of conspiracy thing. And he had on this guy named uh, Cody Snodgrass, and he had come out uh, with his book, walking to the light or something because uh, he was a black operator and he felt guilty about it presumably and he was uh sort of coming out now that the clintons had lost the 2016 election he re- he published his book basically saying like what he had done for a living which was planting bombs in places like saudi arabia for the cia and he, he struck me as very credible just because he had a very strong understanding of like chemistry and physics. And he said he was recruited for that reason because he, they knew he would be a good explosive expert and uh, he, they, they paid him extremely well and he kind of felt guilty for taking all that money and killing people. And he was actually offered the job apparently uh, for Oklahoma city and he turned them down because he didn't want to kill Americans Chip Tatum did the same thing, and he got in trouble for the same reason. He was basically asked, in Chip's t- uh, case, he was asked to uh, take care of Ross Perot on behest of H.W. Uh, Bush, and he said no. <laughs> and then he had to basically flee to Latin America. But um, Snodgrass, he said that he was offered Oklahoma City, and he basically had to do a disappearing act after he said no to that. But his suspicion of why that event was taking place was twofold. And eh, I don't know, it, it may be, uh, I have my own suspicions as to why this doesn't make any sense, but take it for what it's worth. What he said was there was two pieces of, of damning evidence in the Oklahoma city building, the federal building in Oklahoma city. That's what it was. It was a federal government building. If people don't know the federal government has buildings in most major cities in every state. And that's where the FBI can like set up shop. It's sort of like a hot desk. They can like you know, do their thing and then like move to another city for another operation or false flag operation what or what have you. But the, the, in this case, the evidence for the Gulf War syndrome being actually uh, a over-vaccination of the U.S. military by the, the U.S. military, they had basically given the troops a a rushed cocktail of anthrax and all this stuff to basically circumvent a possible biological attack by uh, Saddam Hussein against them for invading. Uh, They gave them too much and a lot of the soldiers got sick. Apparently the evidence and the the medical files and that were in that building that could have potentially cost the government a whole bunch of money akin to what happened in Vietnam with things like napalm. Apparently he said that was something they wanted to get rid of. And then the uh the whitewater uh scandal of like the weird Hillary Clinton investments or right, something right, right. Yep. was in that building too. I don't know. It seems like a dumb reason to blow up a building. I mean, but well, that's another seven, set of theories. Uh, this is this is a one as to why building seven was. it because of what it contained. That you gave plausible deniability of destroying certain servers, essentially. Well, yeah, I don't know about '95, but 2001, that argument, I'm and even in '95, that argument never really 
held too much water with me or held too much sway with me only because I got to imagine the government keeps a backup copy. I, 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 the notion that they have one computer with all the evidence on it and no digital internet archives somewhere else is just beyond my understanding of how stupid they could be. So how could you actually have everything in one computer to say that like, it wasn't necessary for the spectacle event, Mm -hmm. like build seven was part of the spectacle event. No. So we can deduce from that that there was a reason that they blew up that building. Yeah. Like a specific reason. Yeah. Probably. Whatever that is. I don't know. You know, maybe it was they wanted to kill someone. Maybe it was they wanted to destroy something. Maybe it was they wanted to do both of those things. Well, um, maybe they just wanted to do as much damage and just make the, the site all, you know, spectacular as possible. It wasn't necessarily for the no, cameras, no, but I, it was. The... No, I don't, I don't think that. Uh, well. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, I think uh, I think just on the face of it, it's very suspicious how it came down. I, we don't I, have to I'll just rehash tell, it. But. Oh, yeah. We don't have to. My, my personal suspicion is that there was a reason they blew that building up, like a specific reason. Rather well, than a, they probably had an operation center in there. I mean, wasn't that uh, Giuliani's base or something? So, and I think the CIA uh, had a... I also, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. Some kind of, uh, so they they CIA blow they blow their little command center up so that there's no evidence of it. I mean that makes sense to me, but um, yeah, who the I, hell knows? hiding evidence is another one. Yeah, I mean again, I just there's probably a specific reason, but I would say with all of these things, like you talk about these these dirty operators and you know these people who are very hard to believe because means to corroborate their stories specifically because of what it is they do or yes, allegedly do exactly the credibility you know, is actually I'm... somewhat suspect given that if what they say is true that they were basically uh, guns for hire murderers for hire really uh and uh now they've sort of come to jesus i mean i don't know how else to put it i i it's like okay are you still working for them like you know well, what, what's your like angle the, here uh, some of the witnesses they had, it, it, this was a, a theme in the Oliver Stone uh, Kennedy film. As yes. to some of the people that they had as far as witnesses that uh, Garrison was attempting to build up against the against the government. Uh, you know, they themselves are very shady characters. I mean, obviously, <laughs> I mean, talk about Jack Ruby and who he was. Uh, oh, but, man. I mean, do people even know like what happened to Lee Harvey Oswald? And and do they like do they, don't they find it weird that the guy that the government like suddenly blamed like miraculously they knew who it was like sort of how Osama bin Laden was so quickly identified? Isn't it kind of weird that he just got disappeared all of a sudden? And then the guy who did it, people don't even know who he is. And then what happened to him? I actually don't know personally. Well, what happened to Jack Ruby? I died. Allegedly, he he allegedly died. Yeah. Okay. So so there's yeah, no. He gets stomach. Yeah. He gets stomach cancer. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm digging into like riffing off of years of kind of observing this history, both in real time and from my time. And I would say a rule I'd like to establish 
going back again to the sort of nine, the nine eleven truth movement and that that kind of way of approaching this is that I think that only a limited amount of it exists for mass appeal. I think there's a tendency amongst uh, people who are I don't know they're they're sort of like Democrats at heart, you know. You know, people who believe in like I don't know people power or something, like Assange being a, like an avatar of that. Like, and Assange is a true believer. In that. Like, I I have a lot of admiration for the man. Actually, uh, he comes from a maybe a little bit different way of looking at the situation than I do, but I do admire. Him. That's hard not to. I mean, he has courage. He's clear. He's a courageous man, and he's he's suffered for. Uh, he suffered for his struggle against Zog. I mean, credit where it's due. But I, he's never actually yeah. explicitly called it that. He just sort of says the crimes of... Well, he's hoping he might be able to get out of prison. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Okay. What, I mean, dun- what dungeon is he in, anyway? I mean... Uh, a dungeon in between the UK and Guantanamo Bay. Uh, I We don't really know, but I, I guess he's been... I guess his wife, um, you know, I, I haven't been keeping close tabs on it, but his his wife has been uh, kind of the main voice to the interested public as to where he's at because she she's able to see him occasionally when when Zog allows her to. But it's a really sad story. I mean, he has a young he has a young child too now with mm. her. Um, that he you know, it's sad, man. And I think he's he's kind of emblematic of that of that idea, though, that you see in amongst like kind of the truthers, you know, I don't like I mean, saying throwing around conspiracy thinking, I think is really. uh, It's inappropriate, especially considering what we do, uh, what we try to do this program, just covering giving a window into history as we are able to perceive it, you know, just for the benefit of the people, the people who are interested. Uh, I, I just think, I think someone like Assange is a good avatar for what I'm referring to as far as a sort of democratic belief in the power of, not so much the power of ideas, because ideas do have power, but the, the power of like... Well, truth truth as a mass truth as mass appeal you know like what did what did assange think when he was releasing like did he expect your average voter and taxpayer to like go through these documents and come to some kind of epiphany that they something understand something done before and then like affect change it's a very realistic in a very I'm like I'm an idealist. I I, I don't deny that, but I'm not, I'm not an idealist in that way. That I think that the truth has mass appeal, and that there is a power, a latent power in the masses to apprehend that truth, and to act upon it in some way that produces change. That's not something that I uh, think is sound in any respect. Well, I can tell you from my personal experience, uh, because I actually have gone to the Wiki, WikiLeaks website and read the Hillary emails that she uh, bit bleached off of her 
or tried to bit bleach off of her server in her bathroom or something. Maybe this is going back so far to like right wing talk radio. But, um, I, I remember reading that stuff and be like, wow, this looks weird. And, um, and then telling people about it and they just, they just stare at you blankly. I mean, they're just like, what, what is this person talking about? And why am I not watching dancing with the stars? It really is hard to convince normal people of anything, even if you do have the truth. And it, it is sad, uh, to recognize that. Because um, I do believe in civilization, and I don't think it, it, it can be really accomplished without actually education. Uh, it's basically what truth is supposed to be you know, used for, is like teaching people things. And if people are basically yeah. told a bunch of nonsense, uh, it, it's not going to be too long before that civilization, civilization crumbles. And it already is crumbling. I mean, people are more entranced by the latest TikTok video than they are by an instruction uh, video. It's, it's just not, if you just look at the YouTube, you know, trending page or the TikTok page or whatever, Instagram, whatever social media garbage you're going to look at the in, inevitably the most popular stuff is going to be some kind of like cat jumps off a refrigerator and falls and then flips over uh, 400 billion views. And then some guy explaining how to fix your car you know, that'll, that'll have a thousand views. I mean, it's just sort of like an, an insane order of magnitude difference in terms of the seriousness level of the people who are consuming quote unquote information. And the, the market has spoken is that most people are friggin' morons and they want garbage well, for their brain. Why, it's I depressing. You, you, you get a, I get, you get a good chuckle out of me every time you do like silly cat video and like the Jews did 9-11 like I, I, I always love that, you know because it but in that stuff you see you see kind of this admission where it's like that that is where we're at it's it's like because I like cats you know and I don't oh like sure who doesn't so, at least you know, other people's yeah, cats right. <laughs> I don't want to ma- maintain yeah. one <laughs> I'll watch a video of one <laughs> yeah no they're great they're great creatures. Uh, they're really noble animals, but I, you know, we can sit around and like belabor like the plight of trying to deal with, to get the masses to like wreck, but none of this is, this is all like old hatch stuff. And that's why people like a song, even if I admire them, it's, it's not like, they didn't have an opportunity like he's an intelligent man he could have understood this stuff before but he didn't because he's really a democrat like he's somebody who believes in this kind of shit he believes in deep down he believes in the power of the people in this sort of abstract way that that it matters like that there's some well yeah i mean he's also an autist i mean he used to write like encryption software for a living and somehow he, he pivoted to journalism, but he's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to expect the same level of uh, uh, requirement of accuracy as a computer microprocessor uh, in the public uh, sphere. And that just doesn't work. Um, and I, I, you know, again, like our sort of scene has a lot of these types that are, I don't know, programmers or something. And they they view things logically and they want the world to work logically and it does work logically, but 
at least the powerful people sort of have a logic to them, but the, uh, the cattle that they oversee certainly don't uh, follow the same rubric and, uh, reconciling the fact that you have no power, but you understand how power operates and then trying to convince the cattle that they should, uh, you know, storm the electric fence. They're just not going to do it. They're just going to stare at you and continue to eat their cud until they're wandered into the slaughterhouse. And that, that's sort of like, you're, you're the one cow that gets it. Uh, and you're surrounded by a bunch of other cows that are basically happy to be fed hay until, uh, it's uh, harvest time uh, or whatever they call it. So, I don't know, well, we, man. We could talk about COVID as well because I don't want to get into the weeds on that either. But let's just link to add to the point. Let's say that COVID was a an attempted or failed or accidental on some level uh, American bioweapon. Like this is something that's not going to ever see any play with the American people because you're going to have a certain segment of the population that's always going to be amenable to the idea that this was a foreign attack by the enemies of Israel. Uh, And then you're going to have another segment of the population that literally just does not fucking care. Like they, they are not interested in the origins of this, even though they are the ones themselves who are, were, you know, the biggest, uh, they took it the most seriously as a threat. They're, they're sim- simultaneously not interested in like where it came from. Uh, this is this is sort of the the Unzian thing. Like you have like Ron Unz is constantly posting his articles about COVID with like the the whatever like three interviews that he had done and going to keep posting that. And then you know. Oh, uh, by by the way, I'm going to come public with this. He actually wrote us an email requesting an interview. And I said, yes, absolutely. And he never got back to me or the show. I did. No, I, I, I think wrote on behalf probably, of the show. Yeah. He probably thought that uh, we weren't the platform, uh, the appropriate platform for what he wanted. Because what he wanted uh, was probably not. As yeah. we out, what he wanted was like three different. He wanted a handful of different like interviews where he lays out his thing because he wants what he wants to do, as far as I can tell, is break into like a segment of the. Um, the Jewish mainstream. (laughs) That's not happening. That is not happening. (laughs) Well, he's putting, I think from what I can tell, he's putting his hopes on the fact that like you have like big Jew, like Jeffrey Sachs uh, saying a similar thing. Uh, I'd put him as a mid, mid, mid tier uh, Jew, but uh, yes, he's He's aspirational. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's a bit old to be an aspirational Jew. He's, he's just, He's peripheral, let's say peripheral Jew. Okay, got it. Peripheral. Uh, And Unz wants his, you know, because what Unz does is he like data mines and like brain mines uh, various, you know, people who are dissidents of the system. um, (laughs) Andrew Anglin, (laughs) the weirdest couple, odd couple ever. Well, it Um, makes sense because it's like there's a certain there's a pretty broad spectrum of shit that's not allowed into the mainstream. Anything from uh, 9-11, uh, actual 9-11 truth. There's a certain element of 9-11 truth I, I've noticed, at least this anniversary. I, noticed, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy, Stu Peters. No. Uh, I'm not, but I think he's some kind of like Republican retard, Who, but he's like maybe more like outlier, edgier Republican retard. And I know he had like Richard Gage on his program. Okay. 
I just I saw this from like local Republican retards who are posting stuff. Wait, is Richard on, Gage on, still doing the hey I got a documentary you need to see about nine eleven? Like twenty uh, years later? Did, like how can he make a living of, on that? Uh, I mean you gotta dude, I mean you gotta keep in mind like I don't want I'm not I'm, gonna, I'm not I'm not besmirching him. I, I just I, I I'm impressed if he can keep that going. Like Yeah, he has kept it going and there's people who have like been who have dedicated their lives to it who are now like dead um <laughs> like i forget like oh, man, dead we're getting like, old <laughs> you know yeah exactly oh jeez. uh gage gage is no longer a, uh the architects and engineers from 9-11 truth that's no longer gage is no longer doing that he's doing his own thing um and it, yeah you're right i mean it is just not relevant because it's like like the guy you know, it's just he's somebody who got caught up in this, who yeah. was an ordinary guy who had an element of honesty to him. And maybe, I mean, not to, um, you know, try to mischaracterize him or something, but, you know, it became something that he, he got famous for. Right. Yeah. Like and so he continued to and also shot it's got to damage his his kind of normie professional career in a lot of ways. So he sure. just doubles down. You know, that's what he does. Right, so, right, right, right. You know, it's not like makes sense. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, he, exactly. I could see him doing something on COVID by now. Like, you know, he, he is actually. There you Funny go. You say that. Yes. Well, uh, that's logical. <laughs> the next step. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Keep it current, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Keep it. Yeah. Precisely. No. No, you're not wrong at all. And I, again, I, yeah, I don't. I'm not like. I mean, like, I would if Richard Gage wanted to come on our program. Like, oh cool. sure. I know. He oh, wouldn't, yeah. though. Probably, probably not. <laughs> we, we address issues that are outside the scope of what he addressed. We talked to John McAfee. <laughs> yeah. Well, John May McAfee he rest didn't in peace. Uh, I know. His girlfriend said he's uh, he's back. I'm not sure about that one, but okay. Uh, his girl? No, but his, his wife. Not his ex-wife back. or his, his widow, yeah. I should say, but his ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, some, no. some weird... Uh, Central American uh, cartel cast cast off. I, I don't have no idea where she came from, but she looked like nice. something like that. Um, I mean, you know, who knows? But you know, we found we found ourselves involved in this to the extent that we are. I mean, we're we're we're, we're nobody, but commenting on we're nobody plural you know, buddies. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's more than just one nobody yeah no, it's more, more than one strength nobody. of numbers man <laughs> yeah, it. but I don't know I thought like I guess if we want to wrap this up I mean we're just kind of spitballing our reflections on all of this Yeah. 20 years later I'd like to kind of direct it a little bit towards um, dissidents or at least racial dissidents um, who that's kind of the dividing line between, you know, us and somebody like Richard Gage that, and that he was like a professional architect. Um, yeah. I mean, he, well, there's a couple of things. I mean, one, he uses his real name Two, uh, you know, he's going to not keep it. Uh, he's going to keep it away from topics like race and things like, you know, Jewish power, obviously. And so there's, those aspects i mean maybe he's mentioned actually he, zionism he'll touch. But he'll, he'll a touch little bit i'm sure but probably yeah. not too much right like, yeah can't not i mean that's 
it's impossible. But Gage's would never. I mean, he has people, the dancing Palestinians. Yes, the dancing Palestinians. <laughs> right. That's what it was. I, I, I guess I would ask the question, like, what does this have to do with, you know, if people aren't, if people are coming from solely the perspective of the, I mean, to be clear, like, people coming from the perspective of, well, what is the future of the white man, of the American, the, the actual American on the North American continent? Sum up. Uh, as as we we hear, just to put it in the context of what makes what we're trying to do, and we're obviously not to say like we're unique in any way in doing this. I just mean us, like you, the listener, us here talking to you. The things that we have in common, namely that uh, we are white men, and we are white men specifically, uh, at least us here speaking, like we are white men on the North American continent, and our concern the broader bigger picture historical concern that we have is what is the future of our people what is the future that we have on this continent what is what does any of this have to do with that like what is 9-11 what are these elaborate international conspiracies have to do with our our future with because a lot of us are faced with very mundane problems not mundane like uh, you know, traffic or anything, but like mundane, like you're sitting in traffic and then like a nigger comes up and like shoots you with a shotgun like sitting in traffic. It's, I understand people's, because I understand that some people want to focus on like sort of the race war angle or like the cult, or the culture war angle. Maybe you have kids or something and it's like, well, yeah, 9-11 happened 20 years ago, but like I have kids and I, maybe I don't have the means to like homeschool them. It's like me and my wife both work and like we're in a situation where we like have to send them to school or something and we don't want them to be, you know, taught to hate themselves or made to be like homosexuals or something like that. Like I get that. Like I, I understand there's yeah. a lot of problems that people are dealing with that are real, like big picture political problems that are coming to bear on your lives and our lives. Well, the, the things that are closer to home versus far from home, I think is what you're talking about as to why people maybe just don't have the, the bandwidth to really try to care about what we're talking about tonight. And I, and I completely understand um, I think that's a justifiable reason for why yeah. you don't want to get sucked into these things. Um, but I would say that it, it's a healthy uh, reminder that uh, the government is not here to help you, at least this government. I'm not anti-government in theory, but I think the U.S. government has demonstrated that it is not on the side of uh, the the heritage yeah. Americans. I'll put it that way. I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not anti-government in, the, in a theoretical sense either, far from it. Uh, however, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. this one needs to go, man. <laughs> this one is well, a hostile entity. I actually do have a lot in common. with kind of like the, to an extent with like the Assange types, uh, when it comes to this kind of, with the way you look at it, because the problem is when people offer you piecemeal solutions to these things, 
like maybe they come offering you like, oh, we're not going to like turn your kids gay in this district. And like, I don't know, maybe our pigs over here are going to like, I don't know, actually do something. Hey, that Ron DeSantis guy seems to be making a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, our Jewish puppet in Florida is going to like make your life better or something, you know. Like that's where this kind of subject that we're discussing this evening becomes relevant because what we're talking about is a very is a deep and fundamental rot at the heart of a very complex system of an imperial system. And the people who were responsible for these types of crimes and will continue to be responsible for the crimes of the future. I mean, this, this isn't going to stop there. There will be more, you know, gay ops on a, yeah, yeah, no, if anything, I, in my sort of preliminary research on this topic, uh, this is an ongoing problem, and there's more to see without a doubt. Um, and I guess really the only takeaway I'm trying to impart is if you do find yourself uh, on the side of like questioning things, is it really worth it to actually stand out and start uh, calling the emperor you know, with no clothes on? Uh, and then having, uh, you know, yourself punished. I mean, this whole January 6th thing has sort of brought this topic up also because, you know, they're running this show trial now to, I think, preempt. I don't know if the midterms have already happened. I mean, I, I've, I've checked out completely of the whole political cycle, but uh, I think that was part of it. I think they want to preempt, obviously, the uh, 2024 presidential election by casting the, uh, the right as some sort of like domestic terrorist threat you know, more, more greater than nine eleven. I mean, they, they use all these sort of like myth, myth uh, analogies and references, which are absurd. But I think the takeaway is like, okay, uh, if you're aware of these things, what do you do? Do you, do you mention it to your neighbor, maybe your neighbor, but like, do you go to the, the sort of town council meeting and start yelling at the, at the council members? I don't know that that stuff is recorded and you probably get on a list for that. I mean, I, I view ourselves as living in a sort of a soft authoritarian country. Um, and I, I don't know what your takeaway is, but it begs the question as to like what what, what, uh, what think, to do I in the future. We, our country is worse than the, the Soviet Union ever was by far, in my opinion. I, I like and nobody would in terms of its absurdity, uh, perhaps. Yeah. In, in terms of its material wealth, of, I don't think so. But I think. Uh, yeah, but that's, yeah. Picture, that, that's kind of the. In, sort of the other side of the, the coin. Tyranny it holds over people's yes, minds. Yes, yes, in, yes, yes. It keeps people US more itself, loyal. More people are people more loyal to it. Because people of weren't that. confused. People knew what the score was. Yes. You know, by the by the by the later part of the Cold War, like people understood the score. It wasn't like you had these true believers. I mean, there were, there were a few, of course. There always are, but. I think there were more true believers in the uh, faculty of the American universities in the 80s than there were in the Soviet Union. Yeah, 100%. And people here, the other difference is the rules were much clearer there. Like it was, it was easier to understand how it was that you would come under the, the ire of the system and what it was you needed to do to avoid it. Like people knew it was corrupt. They understood that like, propaganda was propaganda and to a certain extent people do here too but i think we have a lot more true believers and you have even in the resistance or the nominal resistance put up to it you have people who are utterly confused who would, who would they would object for example to what i just said 
like your average rape reader or whatever <clears throat> would have a problem with with terrorism. They would say the only to them the valid comparison to the USSR is like, oh yes, you mean like the Marxists are in charge? It's like, no, <laughs> Marxists. Have you seen that Yuri Besmanov vid? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, Yuri Besmanov, who probably a, a CIA operative, or at least a. Um, oh, he's an asset. Actor. I'm sure he's an asset. Yeah. But. But. I my point is that. These things like put into perspective the the true depravity and corruption within the system, and the fact that they're able to bamboozle not just the American people with this stuff, and not just bamboozle as and fool them, but like every, people are scared. But like nobody in the system was ever able to stand up. Nobody was able to even attempt. Like after Kennedy, there were there were a few more genuine attempts. I would say after Kennedy, from people within the system to maybe try to try to maybe counter the coup to some extent uh, after 9-11. It just, what 9-11 shows you is the total and complete victory of the Zionist element within, within Zog. I mean, Zog is fully formed at this point. It's not in its nascent form anymore. I mean, yeah, sure, you could say, like, in 19... 19- 45, like, Zog is born as But by 2001, like, it, it's a fully formed adult, and it has full awareness of its powers. It's not limited by anything. When people talk about the truth mattering or, like, you know, it's getting out there, people oh, spread the message, man, like, you've been lied to. It's like, yeah, no shit you've been lied to. Like, where have you been? Like all you've ever, your whole life experience is being like, but to tie it back to our struggle in the in the more banal sense, like how do we your future or whatever? Well, no, this doesn't really inform that. It just puts into perspective that the enemy that we're dealing with is. I mean, these are very serious people, and it's not like. Yeah, they'll just like kill you and kill your family. And like, if there are people in the cleanup after 9 11, that happened to people, by the way. What what, what happened? A uh, murder suicide of an entire family. Oh, jeez. Uh, there was one guy in particular, uh, you know, again, I didn't, it's not like I have this prepped out, but some people will remember who I'm talking about. Um, there's, yeah, his. I think he was living. In, I think he was living in Arizona at the time. Um, but yeah, they they clean this shit up, man. I mean, like, but here, yeah, on the other side, like these are people who are closer to this very specific Zog operation, you know. And are you just gonna like be murdered for having a problem with uh, living under a tyrannical government? I mean, maybe you will. I sure hope you aren't, but it's not like it's not on the table. I mean, we're dealing with a declining empire that is all it knows is violence and intimidation. Well, I, 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 I truly have tuned out, uh, the doofus in chief. Um, and I, I don't say that, uh, glibly. I, I truly believe we have an idiot 
in the White House. Um, and it, it's, I also believe there's a lot of idiots that actually think he's a functioning president, and I just don't even really contemplate it very much. But I do recall, and I... I I don't think anybody who matters thinks that. Uh, right. But it's like, I, I, I remember when I was um, first like trying to really delve into like, okay, po politics, man, like, wow, this thing is messed up. Like we got to fix it. I remember sort of the sort of outrage argumentation that I would use and others would use that would be like, wow, have you look how crazy this is. And, as we've discussed tonight, um, that just doesn't matter to most people. Like they just don't care. So I've kind of stopped doing that, but I heard something or I read something about what Biden said about, uh, the second amendment that really just, just really hit me like in the head. I'm like, wow. Like if people don't see what's wrong with this, like right away, we have a deeper problem. And I think we do have a deeper problem, but what it was, was he said that, um, you know, you, you don't need an AR 15, but even if you had one, you couldn't fight the U S government, you'd need an F 15. And then people were like, well, dude, like that's like a 1980s aircraft. Like what did you forget? We have an F 35. Well, maybe it's an admission that it sucks. Anyway, there's layers of critique that you can like, you know, talk about for hours. But what I took away from that is like, okay, so we just like had to like pull out of uh, a goat herder uh, country that we couldn't dominate in Afghanistan and left a bunch of uh, military hardware there because we were too incompetent to do the, uh, do the withdrawal. So we can't even do that. But what, what can we do? Well, we can attack a bunch of uh, PTA meetings and, and FBI people who are complaining about critical race theory uh, being taught to their children. So basically this gargantuan military complex that built up after World War II and during the Cold War is so ineffective abroad. But, well, what's our next target that we can feel good about and rile up the stupid people who vote for people like Joe Biden? Well, we're just going to attack the domestic terrorists now because they're already sort of jobless and all their, all their uh, ways of making a living have been exported abroad and their, uh, their children are being castrated in their schools chemically and, and psychologically. But what we're going to do is we're going to use an F-15 fighter jet and attack these people like they did in uh, Ruby Ridge and Waco. Because that's an and by the way, if you look at uh, that Petcon series Devin Stack did, Joe Biden was right out in front defending the government in Waco. Uh, the government did not kill the Branch Davidians. The, the Branch Davidians lit themselves on fire. Uh, and he, he repeatedly like pounded the table with this argument. So th here's a guy who's ostensibly in charge of this uh, monstrous military apparatus that has been used to blow up uh, goat herders for the past 20 years uh, in the Middle East. And it can't even do that anymore. So what is it going to be used for? Well, it's going to be from some steel worker who wants to have a, a plinking contest in his backyard and maybe a way to defend himself against the marauding hordes of BLM protesters and rioters. Uh, he's going to be the new target for the F-15 fighter jet. That was my takeaway. I don't know what yours is, but um, I think it's so well, disgusting and pathetic that a government you know, can't even do... Uh, colonialism 2.0 right that it has to colonize its own people now and make them serfs and, and peasants basically well, I take the elderly Mick pervert at his word I mean he's right we do need F-15s 
Yeah, I don't know with gas prices if we can afford to run them, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> they measure them in uh, gallons per mile, <laughs> not <Right>. miles per <laughs> gallon. <laughs> they don't get too good mileage. <laughs> no, I, but to your point, Adam, like, I, I agree. Like, we don't. We don't put out a lot of shows anymore. I mean, it's it's hard these days. It's hard, it's hard for everybody. People are fucking not doing great. Like the situation is overall not good, and I th- I just think it's helpful to maybe we all reflect on it and that this, it is serious. Like this is not good, and I feel I have a I feel a lot for people who are right now trying to raise their their kids in this. I mean, it's easy to think to be scared. You got to do it though, because they want you to breed yourself out of existence. That is absolutely policy. They want women, especially to prefer career over children until it's too late. They want men masturbating their way away until, you know, they're sort of sucked into a video game or something and become completely uh, low T and useless and unattractive to women. Uh, th- this is policy. They want people to be docile. And if you yeah. do have kids, I think it's a courageous, courageous act. I think it's an act of love. And I think it's, it's what you need to strive for. Yeah. Have more. <laughs> I mean, that's great, man. I mean, I, but at the same time, I just say like, there's a, you know, it's, you can't go out and say like you look everything is okay because it's not everyone knows it's not and the rot has been with us for a long time and it really just comes like my reflection on 9-11 overall is just a question of taking zog seriously it's like it's not like a joke like it's it's a very zog is very real and the closer you get to it like the closer if if you cross its path you know for the most part they don't really deal with us. like we're a nuisance to them every now and then they you know harass one of us or maybe they like murder somebody you know just to kind of send a message or throw somebody in one of their torture dungeons i mean that's a real risk um but the, it's not a risk that you really can avoid because it's just like by being white and being a white American who doesn't hate yourself and understands what's going on, you know, you're a potential target for the system. It's as simple as that. And nine 11 laid the groundwork for a lot of this because it just showed how far they're willing to go, the extent to which they're willing to lie and the extent to which they're willing to flex their power of which they have quite a bit still. I mean, it, maybe waning a little bit in a certain sense because they're no longer able to deliver on the basic promises that allowed for them to maintain the plausible deniability that like we live in a society, you know, the simple material conditions that are supposed to be afforded to you as a uh, taxpayer. Right. But more and more like as material conditions deteriorate, like average people, who otherwise probably would have been happy Reagan voters or something in another era. Reagan, you know, either Reagan voters or uh, fucking Democrat Nixon. union lists or whatever. Like, yeah. I mean, both of those are our people. It's not, it, that's, a, that's like a, a dumb class kind of distinction that is no longer really relevant. Uh, but 
more and more it's just like you can cross it i mean the in the january 6th stuff is a great example of that because like you have the sampling people who are you know not very intelligent um very well-meaning white americans who just they believed in a really dumb idea and they saw where that led you know it's it like that's one of those cases where it's like you know i don't mind like making fun of like dumb quans but I'm not going to make fun of those people because of what's being done to them. Well, I think it actually, it's, it's, it's illustrative to bring up the fact that the narrative have shifted, has shifted the focus onto the January 6th event off of Charlottesville. And I think the reason is because if you remember Charlottesville was, uh, it was called unite the right, but officially, but it was basically, is the dissident alt-right kind of rambling around and trying to do something publicly. It was unite the races. Right. right. But it wasn't the MAGA crowd. And what they're doing now is they're trying to paint the villain as the MAGA people. So they've shifted the Overton window like to the left effectively and pointed the lens, the the targeting reticle on the, uh, on the middle or, you know, the central, more central people, the, the more middle uh, of the road types. And I think it shows uh, what, what the, what happens basically is that, you know, if you go out in public, even with this milk toast stuff of Trumpism or whatever the heck all that stuff was about, um, you can still get in trouble if it's not on, uh, on, you know, well, planet woke or whatever. Brings it back to PatCon because I think what they know uh, from experience now, from a couple decades of experience, is that what what makes an American Nazi? You know, I mean, in the broader sense, like what they call a Nazi. I mean, I'm uh, it's somebody Nazi. Jews don't like. Yeah, somebody it's somebody Jews don't like. Um, but more specifically, like the real American Nazi, like the 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 real problem element are people who actually understand what SOG is. They have they have a real understanding of both themselves and the system and their relationship to it, which is why no Nazis were arrested on January 6th, because Nazis aren't dumb enough to do that. Like, uh, to no be way. fair, I think there's there uh, there's a fair share of dumb ones, but I think they have more experience with this type of thing. I'm not saying that like, you're, like everybody who posts like, you know, racial slurs on the internet or whatever is like a very smart person. Like we all know that's not true. That's not my point. I'm, what I'm saying is that yeah. people who are very self, who are self-conscious dissidents and who really understand the score. Um, but that description is going to lead to, it's like you are obviously a Nazi by the standards of the system. And you're somebody who's not going to be easily entrapped what they want, like it's patriotards who are much easier to entrap because they don't, I think it's because they don't have any experience being entrapped like the militia movements were in the nineties. And I think that was not what they expected growing up sort of in the middle class and just sort of thinking, Oh yeah, Yeah. I could just go to the ballot box and, you know, but my point is to like circle this back around to, the reason I say that is because these are people who believe that there is some element of the system that is like good. Yes. They, these are the same people. The, the Q people. Have, 
maybe yeah maybe some of them have like thin blue line stickers on their pickup trucks oh definitely you know these are people who and that that was yeah the cue that was the whole narrative like amongst the orange uh the devotees of the orange idea was that there was like some kind of manichi and epic battle taking place for like the soul of america within the the depths of uh dc and the military or something and like that there is going to be some and these are the same people who are going on now about like a civil war like because uh you know it's going to be the the patriots versus the globalists you know this this kind of shit and like it's really sad because like you try to explain these people it's like no dude like like we don't actually have any power like what we are is like we're white americans and some of us have been paying attention and just you know, keeping track of both what's happening now and what's happened in our, our history. And these people, like, largely speaking, you know, I don't want to be too harsh, but I do get frustrated when I deal with them because they're they're really not... Um, I think when people get to a certain age, um, if they've not had any kind of education, uh, they are a, they're hopeless on a certain level. Like, there is no way for you to educate them. Uh, because people, you don't, you don't educate people, you educate yourself, right? Like it, it's, a, mm. you know, it's you, it, it's an inner process. And if like you're past the point of looking for that and you feel that you're settled in your understanding of the world and, you know, you have, uh, this various kind of media stuff that reinforces your, your various delusions. Uh, I mean, the Jews have a lot of America right where they want them and they, they can really, uh, play them like a fiddle. It's unfortunate. And we are like, as we, you know, speak into the void, it's not really relevant. Like we, we, we have no, we're, we're not even trying to reach these people. Like we have cultivated a somewhat esoteric audience of people who probably relate to the fact that like, you know, probably just people who are in a similar position as us. And, you know, you probably like to read, you pro- you probably, right. you know, have a certain interest in things as they actually are. And, mm-hmm. and it's not a matter of ourselves. It's just like, you, you know, you're just our people. You're just, <laughs> it's, we're not any, you know, we're all the same in that sense. Like we're not doing anything different. We just have made a hobby out of um, putting it some time to talk about it. I mean, any of yeah. you guys could have done something. It's, you know, no, and I and I'm personally overjoyed that there are other people who actually are interested in understanding things more for just the uh, the immediate practical benefit, but also the sort of more spiritual sense of trying to just be more learned person in in, in, tr- in the truest sense. Um, I think that's important to be a part of a group of people like that and be around them. And and I know the opposite where. You know, you know, people who spend their Sundays watching uh, black men uh, hit each other on uh, grass fields and throwing a piece of ball back and forth. I, I, I don't understand these people, and that's fine. Whatever they can do their own thing, but um, I've never been I mean, like that. Not, but yeah, point taken. What'd you say? <laughs> what? I said it's not fine, but point taken. Yeah, it isn't fine. It's not fine at all. No, I, I agree. But what can I do about it? Yeah, right. Exactly. I actually think it's disgusting. Um, yeah, I, I would actually like a, a return to the fine arts personally. Um, I would very much yeah. like to see a society like that. <laughs> I think I think 
culture needs to be imposed, you know, because we've learned from the American experiment that, I mean, on a certain level, you do see there were moments. I mean, this is a whole nother. I think I think culture should be supported. I don't necessarily think it should be mandated to the exclusion of other things. But the, what they do in Europe typically is that they'll actually have state funding for things like classical music and ballet and things like that that I think do encourage an openness to that sort of thing that wouldn't necessarily happen if uh, people were not exposed to it. But um, I also don't necessarily think there should be ardent censorship. You may disagree, but that's just my personal feeling on it. I, yeah, I mean, there probably should be censorship of certain things. I think for children, yes, but it's not really relevant in what we're dealing with because in my personal view, it's just like what we need is basically a cultural revolution on the scale of Mao to deal with what we have. Yeah, maybe, maybe without the 50 million killed in the process, but yeah, at least of our own people. If, if that could be okay. avoided, I'd, I'd prefer that. Yeah, sure. If you take it at its word that that's true, sure. But I do think like people's... Uh, oh, I know some Chinese people who will tell me that's true, but maybe they're wrong. I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm just talking about the famine. I, I, I think... The family, yeah, anyway. I, I think that if you're shown and if you're not capable of giving your children a correct education, um, an Aryan education, uh, they should be removed from you and given an Aryan education by the state. They should be brought up to uh, be guardians of the state, and that's the end of that. I don't, I don't think that like, no, like I don't like if you're not if you're going to teach your if you're going to teach your children and deprive them of an access to a better culture inflict upon them your own headness and delusions and ignorance uh, I, I think that there should be intervention in those cases but, you know whatever that's just my well well no and I think that's your point of view and I, I think that's that's uh, you're entitled to that what I what I would put forward is I'm not necessarily uh, in the same school as Nick. But what I would say is that what is interesting is that from a moral standpoint, what we're currently living under is really no different because the federal and state governments, I mean, the state, the the, the local schools, they, they have to, they don't have to, but it's sort of like uh, highway funding. They are encouraged heavily to support things like critical race theory at the bribe of a federal grant. And a lot of these schools will, will take that money in exchange for teaching what the, the, the central government's propaganda is. And so what Nick is describing yeah, is no different than what is happening right now. It just happens to be a different ideology. And I think definitely. morally there's no difference. Absolutely no difference. It's just, yeah, but there's nothing immoral about what the system is doing in the superficial sense. It's like, well, they're educating people in the imperial ideology it just so happens that the imperial ideology is you know, poison and it's destructive to all of us and it's destructive long term to the empire itself ironically um i i i i, I don't know i i I've, i don't know what their their plan is i it, it seems absurd but if i were them would i really want to depopulate my my own people what i want to debilitate them i want, want to basically turn them into a cottage cheese brains I, I, I don't know i mean 
I think there's a, a there's a segment of the elite that is smart enough to realize that what this is doing to the population is harmful to them. But I think there's another segment that is like, well, yeah, but we don't need them anymore because we're just going to use AI. And but it's not just that they don't need them. Computers. They don't need us. It's that it's that we might pose a threat to them. Well, we definitely American. pose a threat to them. But what I'm saying yeah. is you're saying that the indoctrination of things like transgenderism and all this other stuff is sort of, in their mind, beneficial, but they're incorrect about it long term. No, 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 no. It's deliberately harmful. But why would no, they hurt their own empire? We're past that. Like, if we go back to, like, Woodrow Wilson and the, the origins of, like, public education... Uh, we're talking about <laughs> oh, oh yeah no we're, we're way past the progressive effects of uh learning the, yeah. the three r's um this is this has gone way past that uh no no it's it's deliberate it's deliberate but why is it people. why is it intent why do you think they're doing that on purpose because, because don't, they're not they're wedded to america america isn't they're an international parasite class they they think that they, so they think america is a threat and they just want to destroy it yeah. basically they yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think that's right. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think I that's know. right. Yeah. Yeah, they know that, like, as they show their hand more and as the gravy train dries up, there's a possibility that America, because America, from a geopolitical perspective, like America, I mean, you, you could go on about this, Adam. It's like America has so much. Oh, my God. It totally does. It's, it, it's uh, ability to be a, a autarkic, self-sustaining. That's why it pisses me off. Yes. Yeah. So they want they want to monkey wrench America and they've done a good job of it mm-hmm. because they've made the people who otherwise would maybe have been, you know, good American people, good, good white people. Contributors. They, yeah. They made them into even the, you know, like they've made cartoons out of the patriots themselves because no, no real American patriot really knows the score is going to be, you know, a superficial American patriot. They're not going to be fucking getting teary-eyed on the 4th of July and waving American flags. That's just not where we're at anymore. And the people who do that, I mean, they are still good goyim, and they're also... (laughs) We're in this point where it's like they, too, are being... They're getting a taste of the boot themselves. So where does it go? I don't know. Does 9-11, does, like, any of the crimes of the empire... Does it really have a bearing on the future? Not, in my opinion, no. Not like a mass consciousness kind of sense. But it is still a litmus test when you're dealing with it, a ref, attempts at reform. When you, If maybe they choose to go another direction with this and do like a, an attempt at reconciliation. I don't know if that's what will happen. But there needs to be... there. We have a the regime that is ruling mean is still like the Zionist regime that rules America has to be broken in order for any of those reform measures uh, to be real. And that's why we won't see it. And something like 9-11 is a good litmus test for that, because it's like, well, are you willing to air the dirty laundry of the old regime? Because if you were for real, if you were legit, you would Mm -hmm. do exactly that be like look at what these motherfuckers did yeah you clean house and, yeah you clean house and you you give a perfect justification for why you're hanging people in the street mm. it's very easy 
It's like, yes, like these people are criminals. Uh, look at what they did, not just to our own people, but the crimes they committed abroad uh, for no reason. Oh, other that's than horrible. Their own Jewish avarice and delusions of imperial fucking domination. It's, you know, g- gives you a perfect reason to clean house. And so my point going it, just to try to sum up our conversation has gone many different directions. It's that, yes, I think 9-11 matters insofar as it will be something that's going to have to come up again, provided that our transition away from a Zionist-dominated American government uh, away from Zog happens in a way that's like still maintains some kind of uh, federal state structure, which personally I'm, I'm skeptical that that would ever happen. But if something... I mean, if there's a breakup of the country, um, it'll be a shit show. And uh, just (laughs) I don't I don't think your regional government is going to have a good fighting chance of protecting you any more than the current regional or federal government is. Uh, Unfortunately, it may be maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now it will. But in the interim, it's going to look a lot like Russia, in my opinion, after the Soviet Union fell apart. Yeah. Or and, the Balkans. Uh, yeah, or I the mean, Balkans, like people, which yeah, which is even rougher. But... We don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying that it, when you look at um, when people talk about like, oh, well, you got to you got to take the whole thing back over. Like, it's the only way because we want to avoid that. It's like, fine. I mean, sure. Yeah, if you can pull it off, I don't see how. Precisely, but... but a good indication of if you're dealing with serious people. Uh, is whether or not something like 9-11 is going to come up because there's zero reason why the emergence of a a real American government, a real American state would not expose that shit, uh, lay it out very simply and be like, yeah, look, I mean, this is why we're going to be uh, doing what we're about to do. 